The aim of Black Mental Matters is to tell experiences with honesty. Therefore, some discussions may trigger an adverse reaction. If a discussion is beginning to upset you, we advise that you please stop listening and talk to your support team. Welcome to Black Mental Matters. I'm Vince The Voice Bailey, and I hope everything is going well for you at this moment right now. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast where we on Black Mental Matters try to eradicate that stigma around mental health, mental health services, getting mental health therapy, because it's a good thing, folks. There's nothing wrong if you realize or if someone in your family has uh, some some struggles to get some help. You know, in a black family, if they call 911 for somebody in a mental health emergency and it goes well it don't make the news but we know what does make the news 50 percent of people killed by american police had registered disabilities and a huge percentage of those were people with mental illnesses in the black community it's an even higher risk due to the racism in the country and in our police forces there are some high profile cases that are taking place right now uh, whether it be uh, anthony hill the afghan war veteran in atlanta who was running around naked and needed help but he was fatally shot by a police officer officer deborah danner in uh, new york the, the list is long pamela turner isaiah lewis ton hall oh man consequently young black men particularly with mental illness are in the single most at-risk category in the nation for fatal police violence so today i am encouraged because i'm going to be talking with some law enforcement professionals who really have a mission and desire to turn those numbers around and really help the community also people don't realize that mental health issues are a big part or play a big part in law enforcement they see some of the worst things and then they are traumatized as well. So hey, it's going to be just a great, great conversation. Black Mental Matters, ladies and gentlemen. It starts right now. Well, there's no doubt policing is a demanding and uh, often uh, stressful career. Because on a daily basis, officers can be exposed to the worst that humankind has to offer. It's no doubt about it. They're called upon to make life and death decisions, split seconds. And it's just amazing when it's done well. And it's done well by my guest here today. We have uh, the Gwinnett Solicitor General himself, Mr. Brian Whiteside. How you doing, Brian? Doing well. Very good. And we have uh, your chief investigator here in the uh, Gwinnett Solicitor. General's Office, Travis Gatson. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, first of all, thank you guys for your service and all that you do. Uh, but, you know, mental health plays such a, this is a, about uh, mental health and in our black community plays such a big role in everything that we do. And as you uh, see now that, um, you know, one in 50 adults with untreated severe mental health are involved in at least one in four, half of all police shootings. It's, it's, it's amazing how they intersect. Huh? Talk about that a little bit, Brian. Well, I think one uh, one factor in regard to uh, mental health and with policing is that I feel that uh, the police are put in a situation where they have to react to people who are mental, mentally ill and there aren't any facilities or outreach persons uh, for the mentally ill. So what happens is the police are a do-everything situation. Uh, let's say you have someone mentally ill there in a grocery store. Uh, the police react to that and that person is arrested. What usually happens is then that person is taken to jail, but the mental health system is not there to actually help them. 
Uh, incarceration seems to be the reaction of society now, but in the uh, 70s, of course, the 60s, there were mental health facilities that would house people. Those were found to be insufficient. I think what happens now is you would have to go to a more modern system of reaching out to uh, people that are homeless, people who are mentally ill. And uh, I think one of the points about mental illness, you have to realize that uh, there shouldn't be a stigma that if you feel that you need help, you should go for help. That's right. That's right. And uh, you see why I just opened it up just wide open. That's uh, Brian Whiteside again. I got it uh, for uh, uh, what is it called when you uh, you got to let people know, really. Brian and I go back a long ways, all the way back home to uh, Gary, Indiana. Uh, looked up to you as a as a high school. He was a superstar football player, ladies and gentlemen. Then went on to become a police officer eight years in, as a police officer, seven and a half Gwinnett County Sheriff's deputy, 23 years as an attorney and a very compassionate. And that's why I'm so glad again to have you. And uh, Travis, you may want to jump in us on this too, because yeah. as an investigator, you're you're out there, you're you're dealing with the community. I mean, mental health is a big issue as it relates to law enforcement. Yes, and previously, before I had this position, I was one of the jail commanders, and um, <clears throat> I got an opportunity to see firsthand that they were using the jails as a mental health facility. Mm. I can remember in the '90s there was a couple of mental health facilities that were closed down. And once they closed down, the jail population spiked. It spiked tremendously. Wow. Um, the average person, you know, if someone is extremely mentally ill, there are places for that. But there's those who are caught in the middle. Right. You know, and those who uh, need to be medicated. And a lot of times medication slows them down. So if they ever get off their medication, they feel more vibrant. And they don't want to go back on their medication. So we have those people and they're out there around us, you know, and there's nothing for them, no place for them to go. And they end up a lot of times being found by the police for whatever reason. And the police has limited resources other than whatever they might be charged with to arrest them. And then they go back into the system and it becomes a revolving door. But no one takes the time to see the root cause of the problem. Yeah, that's uh, why we, you know, bringing this awareness to try, as you say, you know, eliminate the the stigma around uh, mental health. And even uh, for those who aren't, quote unquote, suffering from a mental illness, there is a certain strategy, for lack of a better word, that people should have when they are encountered with or when they interact with the police, right? I mean, Yes, there is. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you talk about uh, mental illness, I think people should not have a stigma about that or anxiety, depression, or, or, or those issues, too. Uh, I remember when we talk about being an athlete, I remember had a lot of anxiety at times, uh, especially during track season mm. uh, where you're individually competitive. And my father, who was a teacher and a coach, basically, he uh, you know spoke to me about those issues. And actually, back then, I went to a sports psychologist. Wow. And my father said, if you're having anxiety, you have to go to a professional. Wow. And he was a strategic air command person. He was a macho guy. But he said, look, you know, when we were in the Air Force, we went to a base psychologist and they gave us coping mechanisms. So I think uh, people shouldn't be scared to admit that even getting married. We had to go to counseling in the Catholic Church. That's right. And marital counseling. And so when you have an interaction, if you feel anxiety, you feel depression, things that are continuous over 10 to 15 days, I think people should seek help because there are coping mechanisms. And a lot of issues do come uh, from mental illness when people um, have police encounters. You have a lot of people who basically, after a certain age, people don't know. And some uh, 
adults or young men become schizophrenic after age 18 to 25. Mm. Police encounter that a lot. Uh, people with anxiety, people who have drug addictions, police continuously have encounters with those people. And recently they had an encounter in Athens where a person had a knife. This person was mentally ill, and what the police tried to do is de-escalate the situation. Right. And I think a lot of times... Uh, there are encounters with mentally ill people, and I think the police try to react in a way to protect themselves and protect that person. But you only have a couple seconds to make an evaluation whether that person is a threat or that person is not a threat. And people have to remember that, you know, police officers are human, too. That's right. That suspect is human. But if it's like any other situation, uh, if a person is going to make a threat towards you, you have to act. And the unfortunate thing is that there's limited time and resources for some police officers, because if a person is immediately upon you, you have a decision. Are you going to use a taser? Are you going to use a gun? Recently, they have that incident, I guess it's in DeKalb, where you had a naked person yeah. who... Uh, supposedly attacked a police officer. Right. Now, he was mentally ill. He's a veteran. So people have to ask themselves, what would you do? You're out there and you feel you're under attack. Do you use a deadly force or do you use a taser? And people often make the uh, statement, well, you're a trained police officer. You've got a minimum training amount in the academy just to qualify. It's not like every police officer practice self-defense all the time. Uh, police officers have problems, too. A lot of times they're working two or three jobs. They're tired. Yeah. And now you respond to someone that is mentally ill. We're going to we're going to we're going to talk about uh, the, 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 the police. But you said something, Brian, that I want to put a stamp on again. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, your dad said, hey, listen, if you're suffering from some type of anxiety, you need to go ahead and get uh, go to a sports psychologist. Um, when people in our communities, when we see that there is something there, we got to encourage each mm -hmm. other and, and let them know that it's okay, you know, and that's really the gets to the heart of what we're doing here today. You agree, I'm sure. I agree totally, but sometimes, I think sometimes the problem is most of us have someone in our family who probably fits the criteria. Oh yeah, uncle's up in the attic and all that kind all of that thing. All that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. and, and we try to just try to dress it down or try to, oh, he's old Uncle Phil, he, that's just mm -hmm. the way he is right. and so forth. Instead of trying to take action and trying to help the individual, they just try to tolerate. And then the police get called. And like what Brian said, they do have minimal training, uh, but they are required to handle every situation that arises. You know, even though they may not be trained as well as one would think they would be trained in it. So their recourse is to take someone to jail. We're going to uh, talk about uh, the uh, mental health uh, in the law enforcement and, you know, because police, one in four police officers have reported thoughts of suicide. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Uh, we're listening and you're listening to Black Mental Matters. Stay right there. The aim of Black Mental Matters is to tell experiences with honesty. Therefore, some discussions may trigger an adverse reaction. If a discussion is beginning to upset you, we advise that you please stop listening and talk to your support team. It's Black Middle Matters. Your host, Vince DeVoice Bailey, here today again. So honored with the uh, Gwinnett uh, Solicitor General, Mr. Brian Whiteside, and his chief, Mr. Travis Gatston, chief investigator. Thank you guys again. And, you know, law enforcement, man, you all have been police officers now in the uh, more in the uh, office role. But police officers respond to and witness some of the most tragic events that can happen in our communities. They're there first. And that on the job stress for police officers can develop into mental psychotic 
traumatic, post-traumatic, all that kind of stuff. Um, how did how, I mean, as you and your careers, I mean, how were you able to to process that to, to then still be effective and, and be the public servants that you are? One of the things I used to tell the people who work for me is that you have to have relationships with people outside of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see that a lot of times, and, and this happens in most workplaces, because you usually become a friend with someone you have something in common with. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in the workplace, you have that work in common with you. In law enforcement, there's no different. So you end up having a friendship with someone at work. But what ends up happening is, is that when you get off of work, you're still talking about bad guys. That's right. You're constantly talking about bad guys. And the next thing you know, it turns into an us versus them yep. mentality. Yes. And when you get there, you're starting, you're going to be going downhill when you get us versus them. If you have relationships and friendships with other people in other walks of life, then you'll find out that they have the same issues that you have. They're not getting vacation like you're not getting vacation. They have a problem with their boss like you're having a problem with your supervisor. And you'll understand and realize these are real people and have real issues just the same as you do. They just have a different line of work. And I think if you can keep that going, that'll help you. Because I was telling Brian, just so happened, I was telling Brian earlier today, we had a situation in the jail, and I won't get graphic about it, but it was a very graphic uh, situation that happened. And I found myself being the supervisor and, and, and telling everybody what to do and how to handle it. Mm. And I found myself right after it was over going to get something to eat. And when I got something to eat and I sat down, I started eating, I started thinking, wait a minute, the average person couldn't eat right now. Couldn't eat right now after seeing you know, it and doing that. And, and doing that. Now, I kept eating. <laughs> <laughs> I was hungry. But I recognized yeah. that, you know, and sometimes you got to have some self-awareness and you got to have some friends around you that are willing to tell you, hey, you're going a little bit too far. You know, we uh, in, a, in a previous episode talking with uh, one of the professionals and it was so profound uh, to me is that uh, particularly for, for African-American women, a trauma happens in your life. Of course, uh, you know, your anxiety and everything when that trauma happens. Fast forward, every time you think of that trauma, your body doesn't know it's not happening again. Mm-hmm. So your body goes through the same your adrenaline and all that stuff each and every time. Thus, uh, we say black women, black men as well. Thus, we have this, you know, higher risk rate for blood pressure and all these kinds of things because we're playing and replaying it all over not to even throw in the whole thing about racism and all that kind of stuff you know but you know it's always there Mm -hmm. Um, and you know black Americans comprise 13% of this population but 23% of those fatally shot by police officers Mm -hmm. something there's a this there's something going on there within that community they're not understanding how to really make it so it is not that those type of numbers well, I think what happens there, you know, when you talk about anxiety, depression, and uh, retaining it, I think, like my father would always say, you have to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father's a golden glove boxer. And, you know, he's, that was the same when we said roll with the punches. Something happens, you just need to move on mm-hmm. and uh, try to, you know, think positive, move on, move over to the next thing. Sometimes that's not always going to be good, but that's how I learned to survive because we saw a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. We saw death. We had shooting incidents. But you can't internalize those. I didn't internalize those. I was always taught to say tomorrow's going to be a better day. Yeah, sir. Uh, Travis and I, we, sometimes, you know, I'm big in aviation and my dad, we used to fly. He was in strategic air command. 
And Travis and I, sometime after work as deputies, we go out to the airport because it was a re- relaxing environment. Mm. Uh, so we learned to relax, get away from the job, as Travis has said. Totally different environment. No, we went out to the cab airport. Planes were landing. Kids were out there playing. They had playgrounds. We get a sandwich, decompress, and then go back to reality. And that was a long time ago, but we've remained friends since then. And when we talk about why is there more crime, because systematically people are poor mm. as a uh, Minorities are blacks, and that's because of discrimination. So when historically you have people who don't have the means to better themselves, who don't have the income, there's going to be more pressure, more anxiety. If you live in Gwinnett County, the average apartment is going to be $1,500 a month. So now you have to scrape up $1,500 a month. So how are these people going to have this money? The uh, things that some people have, having lights on, potato chips to eat, People don't have these things. So that adds to pressure, pressure in relationships, trying to pay for uh, school, uh, daycare, uh, providing just the necessary things. People may see somebody eating a candy bar. They can't get a candy bar. They're going to get that candy bar. Right. So the whole point about there's more pressure in the black community at 13 percent. And there's been historical discrimination and historical uh, efforts to not let people have those jobs. So when you are policing those communities, you have to be cognizant that you've had a group of people that have been purposely put in situations to not better themselves. People are angry. And when I was a police officer, what I used to do is back off, let people vent their anger, let them say something, try to solve that solution and give them what you call a round trip ticket. If it wasn't really grievous where someone's endangered or they were totally disorderly, I'd give them a round trip ticket. That meant they could go ahead and leave. Don't go in jail. And that was a dangerous situation. I'd arrest them. But see, you have to be cognizant. It's just as Travis says, I came from an upper middle class, just as you did, a background. You know, my dad and mom were teachers. They're well-educated. Everybody didn't have the benefits that I had. So now when you step out, you become a police officer at age 23. You see people who are poor on on certain sides of town. You know, they're stealing right in front of you because it's a survival mechanism. The average person out here now, unfortunately, is less educated than we were. Mm. Uh, A lot of 18-year-olds don't even have uh, high school diplomas. A lot of people, their side job is working at... uh, a convenience store, their real job is selling marijuana. Mm. So you have to understand that uh, this is a different society that we're raised in. When we were 20, 21 years old, you could work in the mill, make $11 or $6 an hour. And Starting the, out, right, more right, than that back right. in the day. Yeah. In, uh, in the 70s, now kids come out, you're told that you're going to make $5.50 or $7 at Walmart or somewhere. Right. So Ooh. people are desperate for money. So there's going to be Depression, you're going to be depressed because you don't have the same things as people. You don't have the same living style. And then you're watching things continuously on TV or as people drive by with things that you want. So you have to remember that these people are angry. This is a more angry society because you think about it, events. Look at the opportunities we had from the 70s on to 2000, uh, about maybe 12, maybe seven. All of these factories are gone. There's no high paying jobs anymore. It's a it's, it's designated poverty for a great deal of Americans because you take all the factories and put them in foreign countries and you purposely know that people can't better themselves. Remember the steel mills. Mm. A man could get out if he wanted to he'd go get in a union, make him $55,000 at 18, 21. Sure and if he wanted to make another choice to go to school, he could do that. Schools were cheaper. People are poorer than ever before and under desperate situations. That's why there's mental illness in the uh, black community or a lot of minority communities because there has been systematic discrimination to keep people down. If they wanted equality in this country, the steel mills would be here. 
car factories would be here because the first time the black middle class ever had an opportunity for equality is when the unions had blacks get the same money that anyone else had. Yeah, Detroit. And those situations are now gone. Man, you know, uh, and you talk about, uh, I know it's genuine because, you know, you're working, Brian. I know you want to uh, provide some job programs. That's part of your your, your platform, what you're working on, and Mm -hmm. affordable drug treatment alternatives, you know, all these uh, things that can really help our communities move forward. We're going to talk about some of those strategies when we come back again. We're with uh, Travis, uh, Mr. Travis Gadsden, Chief uh, uh, Investigator for the Gwinnett Solicitor's Office. And, uh, man, he was my hero back then, and you're my hero today. Brian Whiteside, Gwinnett County uh, Solicitor General. Be back in a moment. It's Black Mental Matters. Black Mental Matters, your host Vince the Voice Bailey again here with uh, Gwinnett County Solicitor General Brian Whiteside and his chief investigator, Mr. Travis Gaston. Both of you guys are like uh, pioneers or what do you say? You were like the first here in Georgia, Gwinnett County, the first black people ever, right, y'all? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah, I, I think Travis. I'm not going to claim that. Yeah, right. <laughs> y'all been this since 1829. Yeah. I think Travis was like the second. Um, Gwinnett County Deputy of Color here. And of course, I'm the first uh, yes. black solicitor and Democrat ever in That's Gwinnett crap. County. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and uh, Travis is the first uh, black police chief yes. in 200 years. Uh, shows you how behind the times. He's always been qualified, could have been appointed. But I appointed him uh, to be chief upon me. Uh, winning the election, not because he's my friend. I think he was the best person qualified. And when we talk about programs and talk about Travis and the dedication and the support his wife, uh, Tra- uh, Travis has uh, Patsy Austin Gaston. She's actually running for district attorney now, black female. Yeah. And Patsy, uh, Travis uh, started programs back in the early 90s. We saw, and I work with Travis, we saw that the uh, especially young black men didn't have a lot of uh, support at home or money or guidance because their mothers were working continuously. They had to work two or three jobs. Uh, kids were staying at home. There weren't a lot of fathers in the home. And I think one reason for that, but there's a lot of breakups because the money's just not there. Right. And there's a lot of pressure on people. Well, you know, if you can't man it up or do something, a lot of people have left the home or, you know, for their own individual reasons. But uh we started a holistic approach. We felt that uh, these young men were going to get in trouble. So we started doing things. Uh, Travis basically got a, uh, some literature about the midnight basketball for the federal government. We tried to get a grant for that. We didn't get the grant, but he developed his own basketball uh, league. Uh, he was at a workout academy. Wow. Uh, he went forward and basically... Uh, canvas and campaign to go into some of the gyms to have midnight basketball. And it was like after six or seven and kids would come in, they would play with Travis, uh, had other police officers there. He went into his pocket, him and Patsy Gatson Austin, who was running for DA, they bought snacks and things. Computers uh, were donated because that's the approach. If you want to stop mental health, you have to start when people were young, you have to have That's affordable right. daycare. That's why marijuana needs to be legal because a lot of these kids are selling marijuana. The gangs are selling marijuana. They're making them money for that. We have to break the gangs and show them a different way. Number one, we have working with grants for uh, trade schools, you know, skills such as HVAC, 
uh, putting in air conditioners, Carbon putting in electrician, yeah, yeah. to show people other way. But you have to start early. And this yeah. is what Travis and Ms. Gatson uh, tried to do is you start in grade school, you start in the uh, daycares, and you show people there's an alternative to that lifestyle. But you provide them a means not to be depressed. That when If you study, if you do things, there's jobs at the end of the rainbow. People care about you. Uh, when we were in Gary, Indiana, they had the schools open 24 hours or up to about 10 o'clock. On Saturdays, you could build model airplane, model tanks, uh, pottery, things like that. And then at night you played basketball. There was constant interaction with positive people. So in order to uh, create a positive mental health, we have to take care of our children when they're younger. No doubt about it. Uh, Having grown up, uh, just as you said, you know, we were at the pavilion, we played ping pong all day, we played basketball till you couldn't see outside anymore. And there were always adults around uh, that uh, helped young men, you know, process themselves through jealousy and all those things that Mm -hmm. can, uh, you know, end up festering into a a, a serious problem, you know, as you go forward. Now, I want to make sure, uh, because I have, you know, you two experts from on, on the side of the uh, law enforcement officer. I want to also give, if you could, some uh, strategies for law enforcement officers so that their mental health outcomes are even better. Could you start on that a little bit, uh, Travis? Well, like like I said earlier, the first thing you got to realize is you're dealing with human beings. You know, one of the things, and I think Brian can attest to this, when I first started in law enforcement here in Georgia, I didn't know anybody. So with me not knowing anybody, I didn't have any conscience about putting anybody in jail. Mm-hmm. I didn't know them, uh-huh. you know. But one, if, if, if you take the time to get to know people, it's not a, um, how can I put it? I, well, I remember, and I don't want to get too religious about it, but I'm a Christian and I'm just going to claim oh, who I am. Yes, we are. Um, and I remember a moment uh, I was talking with uh, Bishop Shields of Hopewell Baptist Church mm-hmm. just last night. And I just remembered this moment where, I was at that church, and um, the scales broke off of me. You know, I was only, you know, I, I'm not a member of Hopewell, I'm not, but that was where I was sent to be released from all the pressure. Mm. You know, I believe the Lord sent me there. And then, uh, long story short, as I was really breaking down, and I'm going to be honest, I was crying. And um, as this was being released from me, there was a hand on my shoulder. And when I looked up, when I finally opened up the eyes, it was someone who I actually supervised. Mm. Now, people who might be listening to this who are in law enforcement know that you don't cry in front of another law enforcement person. Mm. You know, we're too macho. Yeah. We're too tough. Yeah. And that's sometimes our problem because we have feelings, we have sensitivity, we have all those things. And even though that person was there in and, and, and the compound, that I was the person supervisor. So you know that person's not supposed right. to see me in that right. way. But it was natural. It was natural because it was a it was a Christian atmosphere and and God had placed me in that moment. And that moment changed my life. It changed my life. It allowed me to to now see people for who they are. Now I'm not advocating Christianity, whatever your religion may be, but you need to have something. You know, you need to have something. That Meditate you in, that, that you, you believe in. Do some meditation, meditation man. Uh, 10, 15 minutes a day. Yeah. Just block everything out. One of the things I used to do was um, now, you know, you drive your patrol car home, 
right? When you get home, maybe just sit in your car for a little while. Mm -hmm. Because you know once you get out the car and you go into the house, there's a whole new set of issues mm -hmm. that's going on that the family has. Mm -hmm. And you know, you just sit in your car. Get yourself some time to decompress. Decompress, mm -hmm. reset. So yeah. Reset so you can change roles and go in now to be the husband or the wife right. or the parent and so forth. Or the neighbor or the brother or, or, the, or the child if you're with your own parents. But you gotta be able to change and do that. And if you're just going from one to the other, and then next thing you know, you're going to have arguments. You know, one of the things we didn't talk about is, is that law enforcement is a high divorce rate, mm -hmm. extremely high divorce extremely rate. High. And that's because a lot of times they, they bring what they uh, do at work home. Mm. And they take it home, and you got to have a way to decompress. You got to be able to go to the airport like Brian and I did. You got to find something. You can't just go uh, to work, uh, be with the guys, come home, and and do it all over again the next day. Wow. Because at some point, you're gonna break. That's good. That's good. We got about one minute, Brian. Uh, do you want to, some some parting words? No, I would just say I agree with Travis, and I think one thing a person has to do if you're going to be mentally healthy or uh, you know, search for mental health. I think you have to have a degree of self-esteem and confidence in yourself. And I've always been taught to be confident, actually overconfident. I was taught to visualize myself as a king, always being successful, no matter what uh, what happened. My father taught me to think you're the best ever. And I think one thing people need to do, no matter how bad your day is, say, I'm a winner. I, I, I survived this. I'm going to do it again. So I think people need to look at themselves and say, yeah, you know, if you have a failure, Tomorrow's another day. Mm, no doubt about it. No mm -hmm. doubt about it. And this was a good day here today. Again, we've been talking with uh, the Gwinnett uh, Solicitor General, first African-American, first black uh, ever elected here out in Gwinnett County, Brian Whiteside, and the first chief of police, uh, chief investigator, uh, Travis Gadsden. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been a real honor, man. And uh, you guys have, uh, have got a lot of work to do. Yes, sir. And mm -hmm. uh, we're just so glad we got you two uh, on the job. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for listening. You can correspond with us at info at blackmentalmatters.com and please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See you next time.